We're back on TalkBack. 721-1290-1800-568-5309. Nice to talk to old friends like uh, Jason Herndon and uh, the Double Front, one of the, one of the you know, signature businesses of Missoula, Montana. Those who, who, who come to Missoula and, uh, and, and want to just have a real Missoula experience, just zip on downtown. And, of course, the, today it's going to be a little busy with their anniversary, but you drop by the Double Front, they'll, they'll treat you right. All right. So uh, who, our guest this morning, once again, is our good friend Carl Graham from the Montana Policy Institute. Carl, good morning. Good morning. What's happening over there in, in the beautiful downtown Bozeman? Well, we're, uh, it's looking kind of wintry. I don't well, think spring's here yet. You obviously live in the wrong part of Montana. Cause yeah, I guess. It's pretty it's nice been, over here. It's been pretty spring-like over here. Yeah. I hit some Easter eggs yesterday just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not fresh ones, are they? You're not going to find them by surprise here in a couple of weeks. Okay, so now we need, we need to talk about this sequester is coming up, Carl. And uh, John was kind enough to come up with some, uh, some numbers uh, about how the sequester should it go through, how it might affect the state of Montana. Now, Do you have your bomb shelter built yet, Carl? Oh yeah, I know. It's it's just it's just horrid what's going to happen to us if you read that White House document, isn't it? It's pretty scary. We it's the first time I've ever bought a hazmat suit. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we're going to end up in the Stone Age. I'm going to go out and buy a club and get some animals. Seriously, I don't think a lot of people know this. On Sunday, uh, the president was speaking with oh boy, it's escaping me. Famous uh, African American leader. Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton, yeah, Sharpton. and Thank he you, described yeah. the impact of the sequester as an asteroid hitting the United States. <laughs> this, this is a this is a cut. This is a rounding error oh, on the federal budget. Hilarious. Two percent. It's eighty five billion out of three point six trillion dollars, which I can't even picture what three point six trillion dollars looks like. So I don't have any idea what that means. But I can tell you that just under President Obama, federal spending has gone up 17 percent, and so now we're talking about cutting about five percent. And it's every increase in spending because there are no decreases. Every increase in spending, especially at the federal level, seems to take us to this new perfect ideal below which you know there's going to be immeasurable suffering and economic devastation. Even though we passed our entire history of this country at spending levels lower than that new ideal. We can't go below it. Once we reach it, we can never go back down again. And it just makes no sense. There's a headline here. Let me just see if I can read some of them. Um, uh, by the way, the president's paycheck is exempt from sequester, in case you were worried. Don't worry, he, he will not starve. Uh, let's see. Uh, 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 Janet DiPolitano, warning on security on the borders. Illegals could flood the borders because, obviously, the border guards will be furloughed. Uh, homeless will starve. No more, no more ship for the, no more ships for the Navy. Forget it. Yeah, and we're firing teachers, and kids are going to go without food, and right. all this. Exactly. Doesn't it seem like they have their priorities kind of backwards? Running if wild the in the streets. Stuff, yeah, if that's the first stuff they're going to cut, homeland security, and and kids for baby, the food for kids and teachers, that's the first stuff they're going to cut. So that tells me that that's the least important thing. On their agenda, that's they think that's the least important federal spending there is. You know, I they, called nearly every state agency yesterday to ask how the sequester would impact them. The governor's office even referred me to the congressional delegation. There you go. As far as you know, how the sequester would impact. The only person that really got back to me was our local county sheriff, and 
the sheriff's department knew exactly where the sequester would hit them. They specifically named two sources of grant money they got for two different projects. And he said basically it will be a non-event for them because they don't fund fundamental services with soft grant money. Or salaries, yeah. Because that would be foolishness. He said that would be, quote, bad planning, end quote. Hopefully we'll hear a few fewer PSAs that the feds <laughs> give money to the locals to, to run, and maybe that'll be about it. Well, I, I, contacted, uh, I, I contacted Dale Bickle, who's county administrator, and Bruce Bender, the city administrator. And Mr. Bender said, hey, there won't be any cuts in basic services here. Uh, he said there might be some delay in, uh, right now we're working on this huge project to remodel Russell Street. I'm sure you, I'm not familiar with that uh, here in, in Missoula. It's been going been planned for the last 356 years uh, but has never quite gotten done gotten done yet so that, that that's still in the planning stages and there might be some delay in funding that because it's mostly federal money and the other uh, came from Bruce Bender um, I'm sorry from Dale Bickle who said they're doing a huge remodel on the county courthouse which has been way 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 overdue and some of that money even though it's already under contract there might be some delays in paying for that as well so hmm. well, and here's some perspective at the at the national level, what they're talking about for this year's sequester is about three-fourths, or about a quarter more, I'm sorry, than what we spent just on Hurricane Sandy relief. So they shoveled that money out the door in a matter of a couple of weeks and didn't seem any worse for wear and tear. And yet we, we, they're, they're, they're complaining about the sequester on it. Um, and it, it's, just, it's just ridiculous. It's half of what we spent on the AIG bailout, not the total bank bailout, wow. but just the AIG bailout. Hmm. So again... If, if we're going to be cutting teachers and starving children as our first resort, that's, that's a set of messed up priorities. We should be looking at some other places, I think, first. Yeah, and uh, Christine on Facebook has a pretty good uh, perspective. She says, you know what is bothering me most about this whole sequester mess? January 1st, every American worker took a 2% hit in their take-home pay. Social Security taxes went back up. And we have all adjusted our family budgets and are coping where we can, but the federal government wants us to believe that if they do not get a 2% pay increase, there is not an act, because it's not an actual cut, she says, they will shut down and lay off employees. Are you serious? That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. we are. We're losing two pennies out of every dollar that we get. Yep. Yeah, that's a great point that, that she brings up when you compare it to how we have to adjust our budgets. We can't print money. So we have to adjust our budgets when gas prices go up, when food prices go up, when when uh, when taxes go up. But the federal government doesn't have to doesn't feel like they have to adjust their budget at all. Did you get a chance to look at the statewide impacts memo that the government wrote up? Yeah, it came out of the White House. Yeah, did you happen to notice that they listed departments that we don't even have in Montana? For example, the (laughs) health and, let's see, we have the Department of Health and Human Services, but they claim we have a Department of Health and Environmental Services that's going to lose some $500,000 worth of funding. I don't know. It's obviously, they just copy and pasted it for every state. Yeah. And then, of course, and then, of course, the, the commentary afterward was so uplifting that, you know, that uh, the others yeah, wascally Republicans simply won't come to the table and cut just a few of those tax loopholes for those it's evil, greedy, rich people. Well, I love the name of it. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, this was produced at taxpayer expense. The <laughs> name of that report is Impact of March 1st Cuts on middle class families, jobs, and economic security. I mean, are we in the Soviet Union, for crying out loud? That's just a, a pure propaganda piece. <laughs> All right, let's get to the phone. Russell is waiting to visit with us. Russell, you're on with Carl Graham. Good morning. Oh, hi. 
say um, I may be mistaken about this because there's been so much talk about the sequester. But if I'm correct, I believe this reduction and increase, which is what I would rather call it, because we know they were going to have a hundred billion dollar increase in the budget, and now they're only going to have a $14 billion increase. But I believe the numbers that we're talking about aren't 1% of $3.6 trillion. I think it's, or 2%, I think it's 0.23%. I, it's it, not even a it's not even a 1% reduction in the increase. You you you've got two different numbers I think that you're balancing and you're kind of partially true. It's a 2 2.3% reduction possible. If if it at worst, okay? 2.3%. Well, but but it would only reduce the deficit by less than 1%. So that's that's the difference. The 2.3% is, is actual cuts this year, that $85 billion, because that's, but, it, but it's cuts to the budget. Um, and so even the budget for this year is much larger than the budget for last year, which was larger than the budget before it. And even so on that one, Carl? we're not talking about I... an actual spending cut. We're talking about a decreased uh, rate of increase. I, I researched this a little bit yesterday because we had a caller questioning on whether it was just a decrease in the rate of increase or if it would take us back to 2012 or 2011 levels, like some are saying. And honestly, the most intelligent article I read made it sound like it would be more like 2012 levels of spending. So I oh. think an easy baseline for you to think about it is the worst it could possibly get, we spend exactly what we spent last year. How unconscionable yeah. would that be? Hey, listen, we're up against the break. Russell, thanks for the call. Okay, bye. You have a great day. We have two lines open. Carl Graham joining us now uh, from the Montana Policy Institute. I'd love to have your phone calls, your comments on Facebook. We'll be right back. Thank you. Thank you very much. 721-1290. What you want? Yeah. Baby, All right, uh, we're... We're back on TalkBack. That's T-A-L-K-B-A-C-K. Wow. Thank you. Uh, That was with a... Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Just a smidgen of soul there for you, you, folks. Yeah, yeah, just enough. (laughs) Uh, I was thinking about the double front chicken. I was so hungry. Anyway, uh, let's get back to the phones. Of course, Carl Graham joining us from the Montana Policy Institute. We have a a comment from Lynette. Yeah, a comment. This is from Lynette. She pointed out she was listening to Krauthammer last night, and she said... The difference after sequester and before sequester could be seen in the way that we borrow money from China. Basically, before the sequester occurs, if it does occur, we were borrowing thirty-seven cents on or thirty-seven percent from China, from of every dollar. Now we'll just be do- borrowing thirty-five percent oh, from China I for every so, dollar. I feel so much better, Bobby. You're on Talkback. Good morning. What's uh, what's on your mind? Hello, Bobby. Oh, okay. Hi. You're you're on, kid. Go ahead. Okay, so. Um so the president says that the teachers and the first responders, such as fire department and the police, will not be able to respond because of severe cuts. And my question is, I thought that we did not have federal police and federal teachers and fire department. In fact, here we have volunteer fire department. Um, so the question is, is he just fabricating stuff? And Would he making it up as he goes to scare he people? Wouldn't, he wouldn't do that, Bobby. Or... Is it true? Because I think that he's just making stuff up. There's another word for that. <laughs> but I'm well, being polite. Some well, of it is very specific. Like, yeah. some of the grant money that won't be coming to the states anymore 
it's clear cut how much is there. Like that $66,000 that won't be coming to our Missoula, or that's for the whole state of Montana, but right. you get the idea. So that from a federal level, they know some of that. However, I did question our Department of Health and Human Services on whether or not we would really not be able to give out 150,000, I think that was the number, um, HIV shots. And they had no idea where that number came from. Yeah, yeah. They're just making stuff up. Pretty much. Uh, scare people. Uh, Carl, do you have any comment for Bobby? Well, yeah, they do get federal money, of course, and that's a problem. Is we've become very dependent. Montana gets about a buck and a half in federal dollars for every dollar we send to D.C. We've become so dependent on those federal grants for fire trucks, for law enforcement, uh, for education, for health care, for envir- for everything we do in this state. It seems like well, it doesn't more than seems like that we're starting to feel now the first effects of when the federal government can no longer be on a buying bidge. We can't maintain promises we've made to people, and we can't maintain current levels of service and equipment that we buy with their money and all that. And wait until Medicaid expansion happens, and we see what if that happens, and we see how they start pulling money out of that and how much pain that's going to, real pain that's going to cause. So this is just a shot across the bow, I think, Bobby, we've got reduced we've got, federal spending impacts. We've got to get one more call in, Bobby. Thanks. Okay. Take care. All right, uh, Mike, we have one minute. Go. Yeah, well, who who originally paid for these courthouses, by the way, in this state when we built them 100 and some years ago? I have no idea, but I assume maybe the federal government helped out. No I'll idea. bet you they didn't. Well, they would have paid for the federal courthouses. I, I, I'll just bet you they didn't, and I'm wondering why the federal government should be helping out. No, we ought to be able to pay for our own dadgum hopeful courthouses. This is ridiculous. Well, yeah, the, the, the remodel is going to take several years and cost about, oh, I don't know, four or five million bucks, and yeah. a lot of that's coming from the feds. Yeah, and it shouldn't be. Hey, come on, we should have enough pride to say we can at least build our own courthouse. All right, Mike. Just plain being, you know, or some words I won't use yeah. in here. So. Well, 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 we got to take a break. Bye. Thanks, Thanks for, the for call. your courtesy. Okay, you, there you, <laughs> thank you for letting us keep our license for another day. We're going we're to take a little break. Carl Graham joining us from the Montana Policy Institute. We have two lines open if you'd like to make a comment or whatever. We'll continue our discussion after the top of the hour. Welcome to Talk Back, hour number two, brought to you by Whalen Tire, the mustard seed restaurant, and by Temprite Service, calls 728-1111. The views and opinions expressed on Talk Back are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, hour number two of Talk Back's underway. All three lines are full and ready to go. Carl Graham, our guest from the Montana Policy Institute. Good morning there, John King. Good morning, Peter Christian. All right. Uh, shall we go right to the phones? I have... think so. We've right. got to line up. Yep. Carl, uh, Carl to neglect them. Yes, we do. Uh, Bruce was earliest to call during the middle of the break. So, Bruce, good morning. Thanks for holding. You're on Talkback. Well, good morning, gentlemen. Thank you. It's an honor to talk to Mr. Graham. What's um, up, sir? Well, I just have a, a question I'll pose to him based upon a logical observation of the way this government is running, which, <laughs> anyway, um, with all this, this doom saying that, that the demagogue is going about and crying about what's going to happen to America, and it's obvious that these cuts don't need to be made, is he just going to wade through there with his little scalpel and cut all the critical services to make things look bad so that they can just blame Republicans and Bush and all the past and not face up to the present? What do you think, Carl? You know, that's the $64 question right now. He can make these worse predictions, these dire predictions come true if he wants to. He doesn't have to, but he can. And there was a, uh, what was it, I 
um, the Obama Organizing for America, whatever the new super PAC basically that used to be Obama's campaign team, the head of that team, a memo leaked out from him to other organizations saying the worst thing that could happen is these sequesters take effect and nobody notices. <laughs> you know, and, that, that says, that begs a lot. Yeah, that tells you everything. And, and so, you know, we're, we're going to find out some character, uh, get a character check here on some of the leaders of the agencies as well as the White House on whether they want to make this as painful as possible or whether they want to execute actual good policy. Now, Carl, if, if I could just throw this in. Yesterday I said one of our callers asked, you know, what would happen if, you know, the worst happened. And I said, if, if the president of the United States, who is the leader of our country, though the duly elected leader of our country, did do exactly what you described, that would be, in my view, the biggest uh, example of political malfeasance one of the biggest examples of political malfeasance in the history of this country, simply to prove a political point, he would he would bring that much damage to to people who have no other recourse but to depend on you know federal programs or whatever. That if he would do that, that would be absolutely, in my view, unconscionable. Mm-hmm. Now, am yeah. I am I wrong there or not, or am I just being overly dramatic? No, I I, I don't think you can get overly dramatic if he does that. It, there, there would be very few precedents in this country of causing real damage, real permanent harm, or at least temporary harm, to real people and their lives and their families and their communities just to score political points. That would, uh, that would say a lot about the person and the administration. All right, Bruce, what do you think? I wholeheartedly agree. All right, anything else on your mind, sir? No, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks. You guys have a good day. You too. Thanks for your call. Uh, we have a line open now, 721-1290, if you're trying to get through. Dave, you are on TalkBack with Carl Graham. Good morning. Yes, I think you missed the point. Okay. This is what he does. This is who he is. All right. He has been hurting people since he's been elected, especially poor people and especially black people. Just look at the dynamics of the economic situation in Detroit. He's done nothing to help people. This is not a recession we're in, and I'd like uh, your guest to comment about this. This is the United States sharing its wealth, its job base, and accepting that it has to have its fair share of unemployed people. And as I told you before, that came from Leonard Woodcock, the retired president of the United Auto Worker, when he was um, establishing our embassy in China for Jimmy Carter. And where are Chevrolet's going to be made next year? China. And who had their hands on General Motors? Obama. Chrysler and all the well-paying jobs uh, for Chrysler are now in Italy. That tax revenue could have more than started to whittle down the policy. GE headed up our jobs program for the president. What did they do? They moved 45,000 jobs offshore to avoid Obamacare. And yet he gets away with it, and he's popular. Well, Dave, let's let Carl answer your question. Go ahead, Carl. Thank you. Yeah, well, this is, you know, without trying to reach into art and figure out what they're thinking, you can look at the effects, and what they do is, is they take good intentions and they turn them into policy, but they don't look at the actual impacts. The minimum wage is a perfect example. We've talked about this before. If you increase the price of labor to $9 an hour, for example, there will be less of it. 
Just like if you double the price of milk, people will buy less milk. They'll find substitutes for milk. They'll do without. The same goes for labor. And we find that the highest unemployment rates, the greatest suffering is occurring in those demographics that the caller described. The, the uh, minority population, the low-income population, they continue to suffer the worst because these policies harm them the most, even though they're put out as, as meant to help them. I'll tell you what, Carl, we need to take a quick break here. But this is amazing. The first time ever we've had three Daves in a row on the phone. Actually, I think we have a trend because every time one Dave calls, the other two call pretty Uh shortly afterward. We just have three Daves? We had the same situation yesterday. Now, would you call three Daves? Is that a cadre of Daves? A cadre. (laughs) It's a murder of Daves. I don't know. A gaggle of Dave? <laughs> sure, a gaggle of Dave. I don't know. We're going to come right back. All right. And Carl, of course. Carl, what a boring name. Dave, Dave, Dave. We're going to get the two Daves on here in just a minute. We'll be right back. Thanks for joining us here on Talk Back on this Tuesday, February 26th. That's John King. Uh, Carl uh, Graham joins us from the Montana Policy Institute. And we have Dave and Dave. We're going to get the double Daves here on just a second. But, well, uh, well, during the break, we yes. had we were kind of making fun at the end of the last segment about, you know, the host of Daves that we have. Right. And uh, and they're all wonderful guys. And Carl made a, a interesting point, you know, that we could come up with a term for Congress. So I looked up some animal terminology, and here's some for you, okay? <laughs> so uh, you could have a shrewdness of apes. As one of your groups there, or a troop of lions, an exultation of larks, but this is maybe my favorite one, a dissimulation of birds, or a, hold on, where is it, a smack of jellyfish, an ascension of larks. Man, there are so many cool words out there, guys. Makes okay, me want to be an well, English teacher. I think we could probably just go, or, go right back to the phone. Or a destruction of cats. <laughs> Well, don't yeah, don't tempt me. Uh, Dave, Dave is on the line. First of all, good morning, Dave. Number one, I'm sorry, you're Dave. Number two, good morning, Dave. Yeah, and I'm the oldest Dave. <laughs> What's on your mind, sir? I have two questions for Carl. The first is, remember when Obama uh, initiated Simpson Bowles, got those two guys to figure out how to go about straightening matters out, and then he didn't follow through. Had he followed through on their suggestions? Uh, where do you think we'd be today? And the other question is, uh, had Nixon not opened China so that we could borrow money from it like we've been, <laughs> where do you think we'd be? Uh, Simpson Bowles, we, we would be in less dire straits financially at the federal level, but we'd also be paying higher taxes uh, because they had a, uh, a combination, I can't remember what it was, two-to-one spending to taxes or something like that, Right. revenue increases. So um, I'm kind of hard over on the we don't have a revenue problem, we have a spending problem argument, and so I'm not thinking you want to take more money out of the private economy, the job-creating economy, and put it into the government's hands and assume they'll spend it better than you or I would. So... Um, Again, kind of like the sequester with across-the-board cuts, it's the worst possible way to cut, but if it's the only way available, it's the only way available. That might have happened with Simpson-Bowles, too. On opening up China, um, you know, I don't have the numbers sitting in front of me, but China actually doesn't hold a majority of our debt. Most of our debt is held uh, in the United States, and the really scary increase in the holder of our debt is the Federal Reserve, which is basically just printing it up and loaning it to ourselves, which is fake, which the world realizes, which will in, in, inevitably result in inflation when, the, the, when there's no place else to go other than the dollar. Right. Um, and so the, the China holding our debt thing, I'm, I'm all over the, the rhetoric of it. I get it. 
Um, but in reality, I, I think they only hold, uh, don't hold it to me, but it's like 10% or something like that. Well, that. I don't think they would be in a position to uh, mess up the grid and banking and the rest of it uh, with their computer shenanigans because they'd still be in the Stone Age. Well, I don't know about that. I, I think if we hadn't gone, if Nixon hadn't gone over there, then Ford or Carter or, or even Reagan would have. Or somebody from Europe. Or somebody from Europe. Um, they're very integrated, much more integrated into the European economy than they are into yeah. ours even. And right. China being integrated is much better than China wanting to uh, wage war. Yeah, I, I just I, I think they had to join the, the 20th century at some point, um, and that has costs, but I think it, it has benefits as well. All right, Dave, thanks Thank for the you. call. Appreciate it. Now let's get another Dave on. Dave, thanks for holding your on. Talk back with Carl. Go ahead. Yeah, good morning. Uh, I was, you know, I was looking at uh, big picture. Okay, we say that, you know, there's, I'm wanting to ask this question. Will taking government workers and putting them on unemployment fix our economy? That's that's a big question, and I'm curious what you think of that. Carl, what do you think? Well, that's one of the one of the problems we have here with the last five years um, since bailouts and, and 99-week unemployment and all that is, is the government has turned into a competitor for jobs. Uh, employers increasingly are competing with unemployment programs, with other uh, entitlement programs in the job market because people can make just as much sitting at home uh, or more as they can going out there and actually working for a living. I think most people would rather work for a living, but if you set up the incentives to where they can make more by not working, a lot of them, in fact, probably most of them, probably won't work. And I th- that's I think, hurting our economy. I think what Dave is saying, and Dave, forgive me for putting words in your mouth here, but, but what, what I hear you saying, Dave, is that yeah, let, let's say you've got a government program that's got uh, 40 people in it, and the sequester comes, and 18 of those people lose their jobs. They're now on unemployment. How does that help the economy, Carl? Ah, I see. Well, if the sequester comes, that means we're spending less, which means hopefully we're keeping more money in the private economy where people can create jobs with that money that they keep in their pocket. Now, it may not help those 18 specific individuals that day, but over the long term in the macro economy, it's going to result in more jobs because the private economy will have more to spend. And more but uh, we're, we're dealing this with borrowed money. It's not a tax decrease. We're not sequestered. There's nothing in sequester that says tax decreases for more money in people's pockets. But if we borrow less, then we also uh, spend less on interest, and we, have less, uh, we, we crowd out less in the capital market so that private companies... Uh, can go in there and borrow at lower costs and under better terms as well. We have to pay back less tomorrow, in other words. But it's not going to happen tomorrow. No, that's a longer-term impact. Yeah, these are all long-term things. But right now, it it is a negative impact. Uh, Example is Great Britain. Uh, They are are cutting big spending on government cuts in their programs and laying off lots of government workers. But they've been downgraded on their uh, on their currency. Now, well, David, what point do you stop looking at the short term and start looking at the long term? Because uh, because at some point the short term becomes unsustainable, and I think we're at that point to where we have to make those sacrifices. We've made very poor decisions in the past five, ten, twenty years, and now the cost of those decisions is coming due, and they're only going to get more painful the longer we wait to implement them. I agree on some of that. But the, when it comes due, I'm not sure. It's, uh, Japan has doubled the debt. It's, it's huge amount of carrying more debt than we do per capita. And it's been and an effective recession for 20 years. And almost all of that debt is to itself. 
debts, they're in deflation, and they're trying to inflate their currency. They're trying to devalue their currency so they can get inflation going. And uh, so they're actually dealing with the opposite problem that everyone says we're going to get. Japan is a very, very unique beast. Yeah. First of all, most of its debt is to itself. Second of all, its demographic bomb that's going off over there is not anything like what we have here yet. Um, they're, they're looking at negative population rates every year and ballooning budget crisis because of having to pay for all of their older generation, which is eating up almost every paycheck. I mean, when your prime minister tells your country that the only way we're going to solve our fiscal problems is if people decide to start dying, that that's kind of the that's what really he talked about like less than less, less than a month ago. Well, uh, Japanese don't spend money. They save their money. They right. have huge savings accounts. They're not very good consumers. And if I was running Japan, I would threaten the Japanese to start consuming better. And that would help their economy and create jobs. The government is forced to create jobs because the consumer won't spend. All right, Dave, we've got to take a break. Thanks for the call. Sure. All right, uh, Carl, we're going to hang on. We take uh, just a minute. We have Matt on the line. We're going to get you on here in just a minute. We have a line open at 721-1290, talking with Carl Graham from the Montana Policy Institute. You're also free if you're at work or if you you can't get through on the phones. You can make your comment on our Facebook page, and we'll do everything we can to uh, share those with our guest, Carl Graham from the Montana Policy Institute. Back in a minute. Seven two one twelve ninety one eight hundred five six eight five three zero nine. It's talk back for Tuesday, February twenty sixth. Our guest on the phone, Carl Graham. You you found it. The uh, well, actually, uh, our next caller is the one who let me in on it. Oh, so. really? Okay, Matt. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, uh, I was uh, listening with some amusement to your various terminologies, and although this is a bit of an inverse, the British refer to. Uh, it is a troop of baboons, or a congress of baboons. A troop of baboons is a French term, but it's a congress of baboons. I think that sounds uh, incredibly apropos for what's going on it, in Washington, D.C. Re- right? It really does. Those big red butts running around <laughs> this, the savannah there, screaming at each other. Picking um, the lice off each other. Yeah, yeah eating, eating lice out of each other's ears. The... Uh, the, the Fed is actually issuing its uh, quote-unquote loans to ease the books of the banks, as they say, it, uh, by uh, issuing uh, essentially bonds that are based on uh, the, the derivatives that it, the banks have created and now find themselves in so much of an enormous mess over it. And so, essentially... As Carl said, they're just printing money because there's nothing behind that, and they they plan on continuing to do that to the tune of somewhere between. Well, so far they've been issuing between twenty-eight and eighty billion dollars a month in these bonds to keep the economy afloat. Now, eighty billion doesn't that sound awfully close to the sequestration number? I believe it does. Hmm. As far as Japan goes, uh, Japan's having a negative uh, population growth as well as Russia and most of, of uh, if you'll pardon the expression, white Europe, the traditional European countries. The only po- uh, positive growth in most of Europe, in fact, in all of Europe, is from uh, immigrant immigrants, immigrant, immigrants from Africa and Asia, from the former colonies. And those populations are um, 
you know, reproducing uh, their numbers at, at the demographically consistent numbers with their homeland. Now, the problem with that is, of course, uh, at a higher uh, level of health care and, and uh, basic services, they're living longer. So this, is, this uh, illustrates 100% the problem that we have when we're continually kicking the can down the road and just producing money out of nowhere. Oh, we'll pay for that later. We'll pay for that later. I happen to be uh, finishing up in a, a, a security assessment for a college class here on international security and uh, was just going over these numbers. So it, it uh, is rather fortuitous. You know, uh, President Obama uh, promised to cut the deficit in half by the end of his first term. That was February 23rd, 19, or 2009. Uh-huh. That has grown from 9.45 trillion dollars when he took office to over 16.58 trillion dollars and growing. That's an increase of 75 percent of the deficit. Now, well, he came close. Se- he came close, Matt. No, he didn't. <laughs> the seven, the 7.13. <laughs> trillion dollar increase in the deficit is a larger deficit than every president before George W. Bush. But exactly. it was worth it because that spending brought unemployment down below 6%. At least, right? I mean, it was worth yeah. it. Yeah. Because uh, we, got, what, we all what, got jobs what, with what, that money. Right. Yeah, and and, and health care has improved, you know, dramatically because of that. Uh, yeah. We, and our we, buying we, power is so much better. Well, hey, you know... <laughs> If you listen to the president, they cut two and a half trillion dollars from the budget, but we spent more. Right. We cut money. And oh, I see. You were gonna you were gonna put ten thousand dollars on the credit card, and you only put eight thousand. Well, we should be congratulating you, you for that. Matt, we got to take a break. Thanks for the call. All right. Have a good much. one. All right. So, Carl, do you want to respond to what uh, Matt said? Well, there was a lot there, but it's the the budget thing just brings up something that we keep harping on that don't confuse budget with budgets with spending. If we budget a trillion dollars to go mine green cheese on the moon today and then cancel that program tomorrow, we can claim a trillion dollars in savings under the current system, and that's just a dishonest. I like that, it's, uh, but, it, but it's certainly inventive. I didn't make that up. I think Cantor did that. <laughs> well, th- th- let me just read you this news story, and then we'll go into the break. And I want you to comment on it when we come back, okay? Uh, this is actually out of Montana, out of the legislature. It says two Republican tax cut proposals are advancing toward a full House vote, while the governor's $400 rebate plan stalls. House Taxation Committee Monday advanced a plan to cut the statewide property tax assessment. The panel also backed a reduction in the business equipment tax by exempting companies' first $250,000 in equipment. Committee Chairman Mike Miller said the full House will consider both proposals soon, but Miller says the committee will sit on Governor Bullock's proposed $400 per homeowner tax rebate. The measure has not been the preferred choice of Republicans. Miller says the measure could be acted on later in the session or perhaps included in another bill. The Republican says competing tax cut proposals are still alive and will need to be prioritized by the end of the session. So can we talk about that from your perspective when we come back? You bet. All right. Carl Graham joining us at the Montana Policy Institute. We have uh, uh, Catherine and Ron coming up here in just a moment. I'll be right back with more of Talk Back here in just a minute. Talk back. 
1290 1-800-568-5309. Tuesday edition, Carl Graham from the Montana Policy Institute joining us. And, oh, by the way, I just read you a story. Uh, about what they're doing in the legislature with the competing tax relief, uh, property tax relief proposals. Uh, what, what did you hear when you heard that? What were your feelings? Uh, I, I think the $400 thing is a gimmick. I mean, all it's kind of like a sequester. If it's the only game in town, yeah, get the money out of the government's hands back into the private sector where it can create jobs and make people's lives better. But really, we've been running uh, to the legislature and, to be honest, the, the former governor's credit, we've been running significant surpluses uh, for a long time, and it's time to turn that back to the taxpayers in the form of tax relief, permanent tax relief. Basically, the government has been collecting too much money, and they need to collect less, and, it, and they've shown that they can collect less and still do what the, government, what the state government is supposed to do. So I'm more in favor of the... Uh, of the permanent breaks, uh, things like the business equipment tax that would help out small businesses a lot, not just in the tax dollars, but in the regulatory and, and reporting burden of all that, uh, and some of the other proposals that are out there that would, again, provide per- permanent relief as opposed to just a one-time kind of gimmicky rebate. Okay, because we talked about that the last time you were on. So, uh, Catherine, you're on with Carl Graham. Go ahead. Okay, good morning. So, uh, after the theater of the Zer- uh, of the observed called the sequester is over this what this weekend um we've got another thing coming up at the end of march you know it's it's, it's like being it's like being at malibu with one wave following another it's wave the sequesteroid right yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> so anyway the current continuing resolution um which constitutes the uh <laughs> government budget budget spending is uh coming to an end i think it's march 31st so what do you think is going to happen? Uh, same old, same old? Or what, what do you think should be done? I mean, if, if uh, the House has proposed several different budgets and the Senate always shoots them down, so... By the Congress of Baboons. Well, I think at the last minute, Max Baucus will step forward with a huge bill full of uh, stimulus pork that he's worked out, and uh, that'll pass the night before the sequester, just like we did the day before we went over the fiscal cliff. Well, you know, John Boehner back on the on the original fiscal cliff one, he said that they were going to stop doing trying to do these these band aids and uh, and negotiating with the White House, and they're going to go back to the traditional rules based method of passing budgets, where you submit budgets to committees, committees mark them up, they send them to the floor, they they pass the floor, they go to the other chamber. There's a conference committee, the president signs them. We've gotten away from that because the Senate hasn't passed a budget in, what, four years? Yeah, but I was going to say, what what if they just won't do that? Well, then the Republicans, I think, if the way I would do it if I was them, and by the way, nobody's calling me, but um, <laughs> I would the way I would do it is I would do that process. I would continue to, I would send budgets to the to the Senate every week and make as big a hay out of it as I could and say, at least look at it, at least put it on the floor, come back to us with a counterproposal and take the onus off of them to continually react to whatever the latest goofy idea that either the Senate or the President comes up with. And just stop doing the continuing resolution stuff. Yeah, because the continuing resolution, that's where pork gets put in. They, oh, they yeah. Do a, they do a $100 billion or, or a $500 billion continuing resolution to keep the highways open, to keep the offices open, because on, at the end of March, it really does shut down the government if they don't do a continuing resolution. They do. People don't show up to work the next day. Mm-hmm. And so they, if, if that's, that's got to pass, and so they pack it full of all this pork, 
and it gets exceptionally expensive. So I think the, the, the Republicans need to have that pass on their terms. And uh, I'm seeing noises about that. We'll see how it turns out. Yeah, well, you know what I think. I mean, they don't have any spines, so I'm kind of... <laughs> yeah, well, they're not going to pass a budget by the end of March, so there's going to be a continuing resolution. Well, I think they should just stop the whole continuing... And, you know, let it shut it down. Let's see where the, you know, let's let's watch the glass shatter, and let's see what happens. We'll see what's essential and non-essential, right? Exactly. Well, the sequester is is significantly less scary than the fiscal cliff, and everybody's kind of numb to the fear-mongering right right now, I think. Catherine, thanks for the call. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. uh, We have a line open. 721-1290 is our number. We're talking with Carl Graham about uh, what's going on in Washington, but we can also talk about what's going on in Montana as well. Ron, thanks for holding. You're on TalkBack. Hi. Yeah, this is Ron. Hey, uh, and I guess that's Peter with Carl? Yes, sir. Uh, Peter and John. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, Peter, you probably would recognize who I am, uh, and I guess it doesn't matter if you use my name or not. Really, I don't. I don't mind. But uh, I wanted to let you know that through all the years, uh, when you were very supportive of my mother, who you would remember as a tap dancing, uh, very old lady out of the fort, uh, she tap danced and everything all, all the way till she passed away here a few years back. Sure, okay. Anyway, she thought you were the most wonderful young man that she'd ever known. So. Well, God bless her for thinking I'm young. <laughs> so, so, so you know, so you know who that was, right? I believe I do. Yes, sir. Any, anyway, Peter, I was the uh, budget administrator at the University of Montana up until 1979. Okay. And then in the mid-80s, I was the director of finance in the, at the city of Missoula. And so I've, I've been around a budget or two, uh, which, like you guys have already mentioned, the, the uh, uh, United States hasn't really had a budget. But on these projections that they're, they're playing with, this, this sequester uh, being whatever, 2.3%, Eight percent of of a seven percent projected increase. Uh, they could take it all the way to seven percent, and then not have it, and, and you know just sequestered, and, and you wouldn't find anything different except it'd be the same as last year. So any of this rumblings of all of these terrible things happening, you can easily take ten percent out of last year's budget, which would be a full seventeen percent below where they're at now. You could take it out and uh, still provide all the essential services. When we ran those projections for Missoula and taking ten percent out for two years in a row, uh, all of the department had said it wouldn't wouldn't affect they could still provide essential services. So Anytime someone says they're going to do a sequester and it's going to it's going to affect people at all, heavens, there's <laughs> there's no way you'd have to intentionally uh, be doing things damaging in order to have that little bit of money, and it's a lot of money, but to have that little bit of money affect anything at all. The biggest thing that would happen is if the sequester happens, as long as nobody's playing political games. The biggest thing that will happen is nothing. You'll not, you wouldn't even notice it was gone. So, well, there's your caveat, anyway. Ron, right there. There's your caveat. As long as you nobody's know, playing any political games. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Carl, I, I can appreciate everything Carl is saying. Is direct is absolutely you know 100% right on the money. But we have open war declared upon us by Democrats who aren't going to back up. They want that money, 
and it doesn't matter if it matters to anyone other than them, they're going to take it. And I think the best budget deal that we can possibly get as Republicans is to take the sequester. Just say, we'll take it, that's the best deal you're going to give us, and let the chips fall where they may, because I think we could raise enough havoc about intentional damage that uh, it's just the biggest political foo for all that I have ever seen, and I'm old. You can ask Peter. I'm older than him. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, sometime we have to say, stop, stop, and what part of stop didn't you understand I was saying? Hey, Ron, we're up against the break, my friend. Okay, well, I think now's the time to, to do it. And, Carl, I appreciate the comments you've made. And, uh, Peter, I haven't talked to you for years, but it was, a, it was a great time. Always a pleasure, sir. Thanks so much, and uh, God bless you. You bet. Thank Take you. care. All right. Now, I, I have a visual, Carl, that, that, that I want to put before you when we come back from the break, okay? Okay. Okay, Carl Graham joining us. We have Harry on the line. We're going to get to him in just a second. We have a line open. If you try to get through, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. We'll be back with more of Talk Back coming right up. Yeah. 721-1290 is our number. Hi, Peter Christian. That's John King. Uh, Joining us on the phone, Carl Graham. Okay, here's my visual, Carl. It's you've got you've got 535, actually 536, if you add the president. All right. Who just won't sit down and work with each other. Their backs are to each other. Their arms are crossed. They're, you know, they're forget it. We're not talking. What you need is 536 really angry grandmothers. And what, and what my grandmother used to do when I would misbehave, she would grab me by the ear and pull me into the, into the kitchen, sit me down, and say, you're going to talk this out, and you're not going to get any dinner until you're done. So you have it on paper, and you're done. In other words, I could just see these grandmothers sitting outside the closed conference room with, with rolling pin in hand, saying, <laughs> you are not coming out of that room, no dinner for you, until you are done coming up with a budget. Well, you'll have to buy one of those grandmothers a jet so she can fly to <laughs> Hawaii or to the shotgun range or to the no, golf we're talk, course. No, we're talking in Washington, D.C. We'll just get them all together and make them sit in a room. My point was that President Obama's rarely oh, in Washington, D.C. Gotcha. I understand. Okay, so, so Carl, I had, now you had a clever response, right? I have a different clever response. Okay. I, I, I think maybe that might work if you didn't give them bathroom breaks, but eventually the room would fill up and it would be redundant. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, so let, let's get back to the phone and say good morning to Harry. Harry, good morning. How are you? Yeah, good morning. Uh, I've heard uh, Carl say a couple times uh, that uh, it take the money out of the government and put it back into the private sector where it'll do good. What does the government do with this money? Do they burn it? Do they uh, light their cigars with it? Do they put it in a big steel bin somewhere and lock it up? They spend it on uh, on a lot of things that don't do anything to improve people's lives, other than the people who get to spend it. And uh, who do they, who, what do the people spend it on? I mean, where, where does that money go when they spend it? Uh, they do studies. They they force people to file reports, and then they go over those reports. Yeah, yeah and, well, and this is a, this is a great question. Money, hey, by the way, by the way, caller, real quick, this is a great question. A question I tried to pose to all of our state agencies yesterday, none of which had an answer. 
but that money goes back into the gets into theoretically, the right? Right? Our state agencies, our state agencies, should know where this money's being spent. They're getting the money. They're spending the money, but they don't have any clue of how this equation would affect them. Look, never mind doing, that. The money eventually is, gets back in the in circulation. It's back into you know, well, it goes it into the Harry, goes Harry, 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 take a breath so Carl well, can I, answer I, you. You're talking over me, so I'm trying to say something. Well, you were talking over him as well. So, uh, Terry, take a pause, and Carl, why don't you answer what Harry said, and we'll give you a chance to answer back. Go ahead. The government can't spend anything that it doesn't first take from somebody else, either by borrowing it from future generations or by taxing it. And so why take that money out of circulation in the first place? My argument is that people in the private sector can much more efficiently allocate that money. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have a government and we shouldn't pay taxes. Of course we should. But... It should, be, it should be limited to what government can and should do well, as opposed to all these other things. And so that money, rather than being taken out of circulation and put into the government and then a, ch- a chunk of it carved off in Washington and then sent back and some of it we get to spend or the government gets to spend, I think would be better left in the private sector. All you're doing is taking water out of one end of the pool and pouring it into the other end of the pool when you tax it and then spend it again through the government. But it, I think it's but better to leave it in the pool where it can do some good. Go ahead, Harry. But it never really leaves the pool. I mean, it's, it, government takes it, they, they spend it. Well, you may think it's frivolous. They might uh, build a building. But all that, to build that building, it takes, you know, they've got to buy the tools, they've got to buy the people of laborers, and those people buy food. And I mean, it, so it's, I think it's a false dichotomy that says, well, the government is taking the money out of circulation. No, it's never out of circulation. Is now, it, they may be bringing, spending more money than they're bringing in, which, I mean, that's, that's mostly Americans' fault, people's fault, because they want more than they, they're willing to pay. But, uh, you know, we, want, we don't want to give up our, our, uh, so, our post office because it might be inconvenient to us. So, you know, you know, you hear that all the time, especially here, you know, oh, well, we, we're going to shut down a Saturday mail service. Oh, no, no, can't do that. So, I mean, but it's, but it's, it's, it's never out of circulation. It's just, you know, I, I think it's a, a false argument. Well, okay, well, Harry, we disagree. I, I think that the private sector, the people acting in their own interests with their own dollars that they earn through their own hard work, are much better at spending that money in a way that helps the economy and helps our lives than the government is. Now, Harry, now can, I can, agree. Can, when we send it to the government, they spend it. There's a multiplier effect and all that. But I don't think the government is better at spending our money than we are, except in a very few areas where, where it's the government's job to do things. Now, Harry, are you afraid that if, if people were allowed to keep their own money, that they wouldn't spend it, they'd, they'd hoard it, they'd save it, and people wouldn't be employed? Is, is that what I hear you saying? No, I'm just saying that this argument that the government, you know, is, is uh, hoarding, is hoarding it or wasting it. I, you know, I, I think that's a, a false argument. People, I mean, it's. Uh, you don't think there's government waste at all? Oh, well, I mean, it depends on what you, uh, you know. They, you the money it, is eventually being circulated back in the system. Well, uh, if, right, you but know, I, Harry, real quick, real quick. If yeah. if if I have money, you were we were talking about the pool example that Carl gave earlier, right? right. Okay, if you have money and you pay someone to come and take that money and then pay someone else to distribute that money. Do you have the same amount of money left when it goes back into the pool? No, you don't. But you have to pay those people that collect taxes, and you have to pay those bureaucrats to distribute the tax money back to the states. By the end of the process, you have less money than you started with. And now the idea is that that money can be used in a way to stimulate more jobs, right? 
No, no I mean, I, I, I didn't disagree with your argument because you. Okay, you don't think IRS agents work for free or something? But what are they doing with the money? Are they burning it? I mean, are, are IRS people or what? What are they like? Yeah, there's not enough it? money to go around, so we end up having to borrow money from other what? countries or from ourselves through bonds, so that but we can pay for all the process that yeah pushes that, us further that, that, that into debt, the and then we pay interest on the debt that we borrowed from. But that's coming. But that's not coming from the what the. It's coming from us demanding more than we're willing to put out. Well, that's, you that's you make like, a great point the, that our it, eyes are bigger than our stomachs. You know, like, like Carl was saying, well, you know, we should, our state should be paying more for our own stuff. That'd be fine, but guess what, people? You're going to be paying more state taxes. Well, I mean, Harry, this I, money I, doesn't come out of the air. I I, th- I think we should I think we should take the system and slice about half of the steps away and just let them keep let us keep our own money and let us solve our own problems. And what what do you think about that? That's fine, except for the, the people that can't. Uh, don't have uh, uh, that you know money coming in. You know, there's there's some people that don't ha- can't make it. I you mean, don't believe it or not, Harry. There there was a time there was a time when government did not was was not the great giver of all good gifts. That it right. was there was actually communities and people and churches and charities and things like that that helped folks that were down on their luck to help them. So for for folks who were down on the luck for a certain amount of time until they could get back on their feet, and for those who were permanently down on their luck. There, there were charities to help them. Now the government has taken the place of those charities, and they are, and they are coercing, if you will, all of us to fund the things that used to be done privately out of the hearts of Americans. But, but the Great Depression showed that, that charities couldn't keep up with everything. So I mean, actually, you know, that- no. Did you know that the government collected less than charities were paying out? You should read a book. It's called "The Tragedy of American Compassion," and it compares charity spending compared to government spending at the same time after the institution of fdr's policies charity spending dramatically decreased and has never risen back up yeah, again but, uh, harry i hate to do this to you but we're completely out of time we got to take a break but thanks so much for your call hello okay thanks well we've got we have todd uh, we'll get todd on here in just a second carl graham joining us from the montana policy institute we should probably let him talk too just yeah, a little maybe. bit when we come back we'll be right back in just a minute I played this one already, but I like it. I'll try to play it twice. Seven two one twelve ninety is our number. That's John King over there. Believe it or not, folks, ninety minutes has just like flown by. It's amazing. So now, Carl, we didn't give you a chance to to respond to what Harry said before we had to take the break. So please go ahead. Well, I think you did. Um, it, it's uh, we, we've the United States is the most charitable, or one of the most charitable. I think it is the most charitable nation on earth, at least among developed countries, and so that means on earth. Because people who don't have money don't give money to charity, and and we're seeing that as the government takes over responsibility for things that we traditional think of as charity, then we don't feel either an obligation or an inclination to support charity anymore, and it becomes the government doing it, and I, and I think that's tragic. Um, I'm not saying we shouldn't have a safety net. Of course, a prosperous civil society should have a safety net, but the further that safety net goes away from being a place where people can can bounce out of, uh, fall into and then bounce out of, and the more it goes into a spider web that entraps people and they can't get out. Or just a hammock. Or uh, Yeah, I, I, <laughs> we used the hammock analogy before, but one of your callers made some good points about that, so I don't use that anymore. Okay, I, I won't. I, uh, I promise. <laughs> I think of it more of a spider web. We okay. entrap these people in these programs and we don't allow them a way out, and people aren't inclined to help them out because they feel like they've already done enough by, through their taxes. And that's, that's unsustainable, and I think it's immoral. I mentioned that book, The Tragedy of American Compassion. That book is written by Marvin Olasky, if anyone wants to check it out. And it goes over what uh, Carl was just talking about. 
Okay, let's get uh, Todd on the line. Todd, you're on TalkBack. Thanks for holding. Go ahead. Hey, how you guys doing? Excellent. <clears throat> you can probably see why I always said, if you can, don't ever use any government programs if you can help it. And I've said that ever since I was a young guy. And um, I just don't myself see why nobody else ever seen any of this coming down the road 20, 30 years ago when my dad was 50. He was talking about this 30 years ago and about all the how this country was going to go broke. And um, listening to a couple of the callers today uh, just reminded me why I absolutely turn away from any government, anything, even jobs or whatever. And that's all I wanted to say. All right. Thanks for the call. Now, admittedly, you know, I mean, the, 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 there are certain things that the government provides, such as, you know, tax deductions, uh, like the home mortgage credit deduction, things like that, that, that people take advantage of. It doesn't necessarily mean they're, uh, you know, that they're, you know, living off the government dole, right? Well, and everyone assumes that someone else is getting benefits from these programs, right? right. But off, a lot of times these programs serve such a small percentage of the community, and they could be served by another institution. Uh, like I said last time when we went through that long list of things that affected Montana, I I lived below the poverty line for over a year with two kids. I'm like the perfect model of what you don't want to be, right? And we didn't use any of the services that were on that list. I mean, except for indirectly the Navy, the Army, you know, some of the federal level stuff. Right. So, anyway, so tell us a little bit what you think, Carl, as far as uh, we're coming up at the end of what's going on at the legislature, Medicaid expansion, any big thoughts at the top of your head? Three minutes. Go ahead. Three minutes. Well, there's a few things going on. We talked a little bit about the taxes, uh, the, the tax relief. Uh, hopefully the legislature will hold the light on that. Um, one of the issues that, that's going to be coming up, it's already been introduced, is Medicaid expansion. And that's part of Obamacare, of course, uh, where they'll take uh, expand Medicaid eligibility from currently in Montana. It's anyone at a, well, it's families at 133% of poverty, federal poverty level. Now, have we decided to join in on that yet, or is it still no, pending? No, okay. Democrats made a joint on. presentation last week that, that they were backing it through the House and the Senate. Okay. Yeah, so they, they would take it up to 138% of the federal poverty level, but probably just as significantly it would also include um, childless adults, uh, young adults. And this isn't traditionally a demographic that we think of as welfare recipients, um, childless, young, able adults. We're not talking about disabled people, of course. We're talking about able people. And so we're going to be doing some work on that, and it, there are three basic reasons it's a bad idea. First of all, it's bad welfare po- policy. Again, childless, healthy young adults should not be on welfare. It's unsustainable, and it gives the wrong incentives. Uh, there should be at least some kind of a work requirement or something like that. And we should at least push these people, or not push these people, but, uh, but create a program that's a payment support system or something like that that gives them choices and keeps costs down. Uh, the second argument against, so it's bad, just bad policy. The second one is the, uh, the the idea that it's free government money, free federal money. Of course, it's not free. You're going to pay for it in your uh, on April 15th when it goes to Washington, but also it's going to cost the state somewhere 70, 80. I've seen as high as 150 million dollars in administration costs and uh, in some other effects that bring in more people than they expect. Um, and there's already talk. The feds are already talking about decreasing the matching rate so that the state would have to pay more. And once you get in, you probably won't be able to get out. So our argument is that there's no hurry. Let's let some other states do this, see how it goes. In 2015, if it's a good idea, we can do it. 
And then the third argument that they make, for, especially the hospitals, they claim that it's good for economic development, which is kind of back to the conversation we just had of who can spend money the best. But their cost, they, they claim cost savings that are very dubious. I don't have time to go into it, but their claims, again, are, are very dubious, and their job creation claims are very dubious. Uh, that hasn't been seen in other states. Uh, without, without just going against every one of their numbers, I can tell you that their numbers have, or their approach has been tried in several states, and in every case, they have not, uh, they have not come through with what the claims claim they would. Carl, how, how do we contact you and find out more about the Institute? And if you want to donate, we can, right? You bet. Montana Policy Institute, uh, we're a nonprofit. We don't take any government money. Uh, we just try to get the right policies out there for uh, free people exercising their, their rights in a free market, a reasonably regulated free market. And MontanaPolicy.org is where you can learn all about it. Great. Well, it's a pleasure visiting with you, as always. Thanks, Carl. All right. We'll see you. Have a great day. All right, Emmett, so-